0: I begin, I just want to weigh in on this a little bit, Uh, I saw Tom, I visited Tom about a week before he went to glory and prayed with him and just read some scripture to him and uh, I remember his last words to me as I was walking out the door he said, I'll put a good word in for you. (laughs) And I looked back at him I said, thanks. Anyway, we're we're talking about... uh, Proverbs and the wisdom of Proverbs. And really, Proverbs is a book that just says you can learn. You don't have to make mistakes. You don't have to mess up. You can grow in wisdom. You don't have to fall into the traps that are out there. And one of the big traps that I think many of us would say, this is a trap that I fall into on a regular basis, or this is a trap that I fall into, like, really deep, is the area of anger, and how we manage our anger. And Proverbs has a whole lot to say about that. Let me just open with one verse. Um, this is Proverbs 19, verse 19. Uh, it says this, Hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you'll have to do it again. In other words, the writer of Proverbs is saying, <coughs> Anger is is a tough thing and it's an ongoing thing. And it's a struggle. And some of you would say amen to that. That's you know a, a struggle that I have. Now, anger can be bad, but not always. Someone has called uh, anger the dynamite of the soul. And it is. It can, it can do a lot of damage. It can do a lot of damage. So what we want to talk about is how can we grow wise in this area of anger? Because I think we all struggle with it from time to time. And uh, just a few things we want to say about anger. The first one is, that anger can damage your body and shorten your life. If you carry around anger, it will shorten your life and it will damage you. Uh, research from our neighbors at Iowa State University, and those of you that are there would be very proud of this, they collected data from th- 1,300 men over a period of nearly 40 years. Those in the top 25% who were the angriest had 1 five times the risk of dying early compared to those in the lower 25%. So that that's a study. Another study looked at blood circulation of a group of 3000 almost 4000 men and women and found that anger and hostility in men increased the risk of an irregular heart rhythm. And so anger can cause health issues. And we often respond to anger in a number of ways. Uh, One is, we hold it in. (coughs) And maybe that's your study, or that's your your thing. Your thing is, you hold it in. You just kind of, just let it go, let it go, you know, you try to not react to it. Uh, But a Michigan study showed that subjects who indicated they were likely to suppress their anger in response to two hypothetical anger-provoking situations had 1.7 times the mortality risk of those who expressed their anger. So if you hold it in, that's not healthy. But that's the response that many of us have. When, when somebody does something, says something that angers us, our, one of our natural responses is to do that. The o- opposite is we blow it out, right? And, uh, you know, in the mental health community, there used to be a belief, and it was popular a number of years ago, the best thing you could do for anger, or if you're struggling with anger, is just let it out. Yell, you know, they would do primal screams, they would yell, they would punch pillows, they would kick things and, uh, and stuff. But what they found was that when they, when they uh, did these studies and when they actually followed people who, you know, were given that counsel, they became more aggressive, they became more angry, they showed their aggression not only to pillows... And didn't scream, but they showed their aggression towards their family, to their wives, to their children. Uh, They became more aggressive. Uh, The study found uh, that it was much better to take a few moments and do nothing when you are angry. (laughs) Maybe count to ten. We've heard that before, right? And essentially that's what it comes down to. that That holding it in is not a good response. That blowing it out is not a good response. Both of those are unhealthy. Well, what does the scripture say? In uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is, has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart, tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. And so there's a management that we have to handle with, with anger. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So not only will anger... Uh, destroy your health and hurt you physically, but it will destroy the relationships, your friendships, and your community. Notice uh, Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So, in a sense, <coughs> we've been around people like that, right? People who just kind of blow up, and you go, man, I don't want to be around you. Uh, you don't say that to them because they blow up, right? You you just You just kind of... Quietly move to the, you know, out of the way. So the anger uh, in your soul primarily harms you, but it also impacts the relationships and the people around you, your community, uh, if you can't manage anger, if you can't deal with it. Now, Jesus saw anger as a really, uh, a really significant thing that we got to get a hold of. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and I'd love you to turn there just for a minute. By the way, if you don't have a Bible... We have these chair Bibles, and if you turn to page 736, I want to read just a a few verses, but I think it's good for us to read it. And I want to give you my impression of what Jesus is saying and why he's saying it. This is Matthew 5.21. He says this, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say that if you're even angry with somebody, you are subject to judgment. If you call somebody an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse somebody, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Now, that's all very interesting, and we talked a little bit about it uh, a week ago. But what I want to do is I want to to look at something else. I want to look at the verses that follow that, because Jesus says something pretty significant afterwards. He says this. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember... (coughs) that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice. When you are on your way to court with an advers- your adversary, settle the differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to a judge who will hand you over to an officer, and you will be thrown in prison. And if that happens, you will surely not be free until you have paid the last penny. What's Jesus saying here? It's significant. What Jesus is saying here is if you have issues with other people, what we tend to do is we tend to blow up, we tend to hold it in. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. What you need to do is you need to deal with them. You need to manage them. You need to, if you know, it would be like this. If I just remember just now or right before I came up on stage that I had an issue with another brother, Jesus is saying, put the sermon aside, go and deal with it. It's that significant of an issue. Why? Because anger is, needs to be managed. Relationships need to be taken care of. They're a high priority. And Jesus is basically saying, if we're not careful, and I mentioned this last weekend, that, that an acorn, it just takes an acorn to make a forest. And a little seed of anger can turn to bitterness, a root of bitterness. A root of bitterness can lead to a whole bunch of things. Now, I'm not recommending this. <coughs> but uh, Carol and I just watched. And again, this is not a political statement. I hate to have to put disclaimers all the time, but I I will do it. Um, It's not a political statement. It's not a statement of whether this is good or bad. It's not really. The only statement I'm trying to make is, uh, when you watch this, if you watch it, you will see what a root of anger can cause. And I just got we just got done watching O.J. the O.J. uh, series that's on right now, mini series, made in America. And it was absolutely compelling. It was absolutely compelling to see so many different roots. But the one root that I saw there was in anger. There was such a deep-seated anger. And uh, you, you'll watch it and you'll see it. You'll see just, uh, it, it, and you know what? It's not just there. It's it's here in me. It's in me. And and what Jesus is saying in this passage is you better watch out. This is this is not kid stuff. You need to deal with this and you need to deal with it. It quickly and not let it linger and not let it grow and not let it grow into a root. It's really serious. So uh, we have to detect the anger within us and deal with it quickly in a healthy manner. If we don't, it will not only destroy the relationships around us, it will ultimately destroy us. The third thing we want to say about anger is anger can lead to horrible choices and decisions. Notice uh, Proverbs chapter fourteen twenty nine. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Have you ever thought about this? Anger can distort your perspective. When you become angry, your good sense takes a back seat. Have you noticed that? It it does. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever said or done something in the moment, in the heat of anger, that you say, I regret that I did that. I regret that I said that. And you've had to go to another person and say, you know what, I said that out of anger. I shouldn't have said it. I was wrong. Uh, I was in a fit. Um, we do that all the we, we, we do. If we're honest with one another, most of us could say, yeah, it, I've done it. Maybe did it this week. Maybe did it more than once this week. I don't know. Uh, the bottom line is, this is a real problem that we have. And I want to make a take a moment, and I want to talk about something. And you say, well, of course, Pastor, you're going to talk... Uh, and I want to talk about the effects of alcohol. You say, well, pastor, you're a pastor. That's what you're supposed to. You're supposed to, you know, you're this teetotaler and, you know, you're not. you." No. Here, here's what I want to say, and you probably have noticed it. There are some people, and they take a drink or two, and they lose their inhibition, and they become a different person. They become mean. They become angry. Or... They become, they, they have no guard at all. And and I just want to say that you, we've all heard of the angry drunk, right? Uh, you may be that person. You may the, be the person that when you get a little bit of drink, alcohol, you become a different person. You become a person that is not nice to be around, that your mouth goes, that your, that your actions are bad. And uh, I just want to say, If you have that issue with alcohol, you should not be using alcohol. Uh, The Bible condemns drunkenness. But some of you shouldn't even take a drink because it affects you. And after a few drinks, your healthy inhibition system goes down and you become vulnerable. And you begin to say and do things that are just not good. So there's Pastor Collins preaching that you should not drink. Um, But I'm just saying, some of you should not drink for the good of yourself and the good of your family and the good of your life. Um, So there you go. And you go, well, that's not so shocking. Well, it isn't, but it's true, and some of you know that. And uh, some people around you who care for you have asked you to stop, but you won't. And if you have an issue, we have a Celebrate Recovery program. It's a great program where you get support from other people who have struggled with it. And uh, they would love to kind of walk beside you and help you because if you're if you're medicating yourself with drugs or alcohol uh, there's there's a problem there. there's a spiritual problem there, and you cannot fix a spiritual problem with alcohol or with drugs. It's just not going to happen. All right, enough of that message. Let me move back to the other one. Now, some of you <clears throat> can't even see your own anger. you dismiss it, you say, well, and here's one of the signs. One of the signs is you don't you don't take the responsibility for your words or your actions. You blame the stimulus. You blame the person. They cut me off. They said this. So it's almost like they did this. So so I had to do this. This was the only way I could respond. How does that work when your kids play that card with you? Why'd you hit him? Because he hit me. You go. Oh, okay. Well, then fine. <laughs> no, you don't do that. <laughs> But you know what? Even if you can't see the anger that you struggle with, the people around you can. The the people that love you, the people that care for you, they see it. And and, uh, they put up with it. Uh, Anger has got a hold on you, and you may not even know it. (laughs) Well, you need to know it. The Bible says over and over that God, it's interesting. The Bible says over and over, you read the Old Testament, it says God is slow to anger. Slow to anger. Uh, for instance psalm eighty six fifteen says, "But you, O Lord, are great, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and, and faithfulness. I'm so glad that God is slow to anger i 'm so glad so 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 far we 've seen that there's a couple of ways that we can respond. We can bottle up our anger or we can blow up our anger right <coughs> Now, before we go too far and say, well, then all you've done is you've just said anger is a bad thing and we shouldn't have it. Well, I just want to balance that because the book of Proverbs does. The book of Proverbs says there's sometimes that you, should, you should be angry. You should be angry. Uh, I like what uh, John Christen <coughs> said. He was the Archbishop of Constantinople. He said, he who is angry without cause shall be judged but he who is angry with cause shall not be judged. So what he's saying is there's, there's some times where you get angry and it, it is an absolute sin. But then he says, but there are times when you should get angry. And if you don't, something's wrong. So let's look at that for a moment. Sometimes anger is justified and it's good. Look at what Proverbs 16.32 says. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules the spirit, spirit he who take, let me try that again. Whoever is slow to anger is better than a mighty than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So notice what it says here. He's saying that a person is slow to anger; they're able to control their emotions. We're told God is slow to, to get angry, so they're able to control those emotions. They get angry, but they're also under control. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, and you have this verse up on on the screen, it says this, Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. (coughs) Well, how do you give an opportunity for the devil? You allow anger to take a root. You allow a root of bitterness to come. And you become bitter and angry and you allow it to consume you. That's how you give the devil a foothold. But notice what it says. It says in this passage, be angry and sin not. Now, the t- you, you, we're going to have a little bit of a Greek lesson. So you probably, maybe you weren't good in English, but they had this thing called mood. And it was, there was the, uh, the indicative mood, and there's the imperative mood, and there's all these different moods. This is in the imperative mood. And that just simply means it's a command. This is something you should do. So he's saying there are times you should be angry. But he says, be angry, but do not sin. Uh, So there are some things in life that should make you angry. In fact, there are some things in life that must make you angry. You say, Pastor, what are those things? What are some of the things that should make me angry? Well, let me give you a few. A hundred million Christians around the globe are under persecution. That should make you angry. Over 55 million children have been aborted since Roe v. Wade. That should make you angry. Malnutrition has claimed the lives of 3.1 million children. That should make you angry. There are 380,000 children in foster care in the United States. 380,000 children. Almost 21 million people around the world are victims of forced labor. 21 million people. That should make you angry. 4.5 million are victims of forced sexual exploitation. That should make you angry. Makes God angry. So, think about that. Uh, and, and, you know, the other thing, too, is as a parent, there are some things that you see in your children that you love them very much, but you hate the things that destroy them. There are things, <coughs> maybe some of you have a child that's going through a difficult time, and they're doing things. Maybe they're doing drugs. They're doing other things. But they're, they're, they're destroying themselves, and you hate what's happening to your children. You love your children, but you hate what's happening to them. And and that's essentially what he's talking about. I like what Becky Pippert said. She said this, Think how we feel when we see somebody we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. There are things that you're, you're people around you that are doing this is destroying their lives. You ought to hate it. You shouldn't be good with it. It should keep you up at night. Well, how do we heal our anger? How do we take this thing that God has given to us that can be so detrimental in our lives, and yet sometimes it's necessary? How do we balance that out? Well, let me give you a few steps. Number one, first you need to admit it. You need to admit it and own it. It doesn't do any good to deny it. Admit it. Stop blaming the people around you. Stop blaming your work environment. Stop blaming any other stimulus. Stop saying, I'm in a bad work environment. They made me do it. No. You take responsibility for it. You're the only one. (coughs) I don't care what the response is. You're the only one that gets to choose how you're going to respond. You are the only one that that does that. You're the only one responsible for that response. <clears throat> the question is, do you have somebody in your life that can point that out, or are you so volatile that they, if they were to come and point this out in your life, they would, well, they wouldn't do it because they're just afraid of it. <clears throat> I remember as a kid. Just a little background, uh, I grew up in a family of eight, six boys, and uh, I'm in the middle and we used to sit down for dinner and my dad had there were days that he came home and then you could just tell you could see it that you go just don't be around don't don't say anything and it was one of those days and we sat down at dinner it was a quiet dinner and i remember my dad he took the ketchup bottle our, our brother my brothers we still talk about this he took the ketchup bottle and he was sh- he couldn't get it to come out and it was getting him more and more angry. And he finally took it and he, sh- he was shaking it so hard and it just went all over the place. <laughs> and we sat there and and I and I literally sat there and I'm thinking, I want to laugh, but I'm afraid to laugh. <laughs> well, he we ended up all laughing. And he said, oh, what's the use? And he got up and stormed up. But but the point is, are you that way? Are I mean, are you at a place where... Nobody can come up to you and say, "Hey, come on, what's going on?" You think my dad was mad at the ketchup bottle because it wouldn't come out? I mean, no. There was something else going on, and that leads to the second step. You you not you, you can you don't just analyze it. You have to, or not just admit it, but you have to analyze it. Notice what it says in Proverbs chapter twenty-four, verse twenty-eight. Don't testify against your neighbors without cause. Don't lie about them. (coughs) Don't say, now I get to pay them back for what they've done to me. Um, I'll get even with them. Now you say, what are you you talking about here? What's going on here? Um, When somebody wrongs you and you immediately have a response of anger, what's going on? You say, well, they said this. They, They did this. No, that's the stimulus. There's something below the surface. Let me give you an example. If I'm walking down the street, oh, let's just make it more contemporary. Let's just say that I walk out the door today, and as I'm walking out, a little eight-year-old boy looks up to me, <coughs> smiles, and says, "It was a horrible sermon. You're an idiot. Am I going to blow up? Am I going to punch him, kick him, beat him? Silly? No. I'm going to look at him and say, in my head, you are a little idiot yourself. (laughs) I might say, where's your mommy? Where's your daddy? (laughs) I don't care. I don't care what he thinks. But let's just say that it was somebody close to me. Somebody that I cared about. Somebody that I I care about what they think of me. And they said, You're an idiot. You're not very bright. I would go, I'm angry by that. I'm I'm upset. Why? Why am I angry? Same stimulus, right? Because part of me is going, what if you're right? What if that's really who I am? Is that really who I am? Is that really who you think I am? I I don't like that. I don't want to be that. And so, when you start to pull it apart, you go, there's something behind this. They've made a value statement about me. they diminish diminished my value. And, you, and when people do that, you care more about how you're perceived and accepted. You want to be accepted. You want to be appreciated. And you're not getting it. So you get angry. And you begin to dis- dis- dismiss. You don't just dismiss their words, but you dismiss them. <coughs> Their credibility, you dismiss their credibility so that you can retain your value. In other words, what I'm saying is there's always something behind the initial stimulus. I, I remember a, a, a while ago. This is a long time ago, I think, um, that I was uh, uh, trying to get home, and I was, you know, frustrated by people in front of me that just seemed like they were taking forever. And I finally got home, and I was hanging out with the family so to speak and I was a little tense and I was a little worked up and finally I think Carol said something like what's going on? I go, what? Nothing. Well there was something going on and you know you have to go below the layers (coughs) and say it wasn't the cars what was going on? See here's the point whenever you get angry you need to ask yourself What is this thing that is so important to me that I'm willing to go nuclear to the people around me? What is it that that is causing me to go nuclear on the people around me? Because it's not probably the stimulus. It's probably not what's being said. When you're angry, oftentimes you're defending nothing more. And it really comes down to this. Your ego, your pride, your self-esteem really comes down to that people say you know your wife or your husband says something and you take it in the wrong way and you get upset immediately and you you say you're thinking in your head maybe you say it out loud what do you think i'm an idiot well they don't think you're an idiot well maybe they do i don't know i don't know you but they probably don't think you're an idiot but you're taking it that way why because your ego is hurt because your pride is hurt because your self-esteem has been attacked. Well, the big, the biggest problem is we, we, we have to say, you know what? Um, I got to let go of my ego, and if I'm feeding my ego by what other people think, I'm always going to be disappointed. You see, what I have to do is say, what does the most important person in the universe say about me? Because that's the one that matters, and He knows I'm a, I'm a mess up. He knows that I'm not, you know, that I can really do things wrong, but He still loves me and He still accepts me. So that's okay. When we begin to do that, then it changes how we view things. Um, I love this verse from Jeremiah, and I learned it a number of years ago. And I've tried to remind myself. It's Jeremiah <coughs> 45.5. And it's the Yol translation. A lot of the verses I learned, I learned in the King James Version. But it says this, Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. In other words, let it go. <laughs> Don't get all bent out of shape. So, number one, you have to admit it. Number two, analyze where it's coming from. It's probably not the stimulus. There's probably something going on in your heart. And then number three, transform it. <coughs> Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle action a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make temper flare if somebody approaches you, respond gently notice uh, page four ninety nine if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he's thirsty, give him water to drink for you are heaping burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you now again, we often think well. We talked a little bit about this last week, and there's a lot of parallels there. We often think, um, I don't want to get revenge on my friend uh, or on my enemy. But, you know, what he's saying here is is the opposite. He's saying, feed your enemies. Feed your enemies. Look out for them. Uh, Save them. You say, well, how in the world is that possible? How in the world is that possible? The civil rights movement was led by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I want to read you a portion of one of his, uh, one of, uh, a quote from him. It's very powerful. He says, Somehow we must be able to stand up against our most bitter opponents and say, We shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will and we will still love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws or abide by the unjust system because non-cooperation with evil is as much as a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. So throw us in jail, and we will still love you. Bomb our homes, threaten our children, and as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at midnight, the midnight hour, and drag us out on some wayside road and leave us half dead as you beat us, and we will still love you. Send your propaganda agents around the country and make it appear that we are not fit, culturally and otherwise, for integration. But we will still love you. But be assured that we'll wear you down by our capacity to suffer and one day we will win our freedom. We will not only win our freedom for ourselves. We will appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. What was he doing here? He was taking his scripture and applying it. So what do we do with our anger? There's three possible responses we looked at. You can bottle up your anger. Withdrawal. Be passive, inward, (coughs) passive-aggressive. You can blow up your anger, fire back, become aggressive outward, or you can absorb the rage and anger. Now, some people, maybe there's some here, you don't like hearing about the wrath of God. Yeah, I want to hear about the grace of God, but I don't like the wrath of God. I want a God of love. But here's the problem. Without the wrath of God, you have a God who is not moved by evil. He's not moved by sin. He's not moved by the fallenness of humankind. Some people rage against God. They blame Him for their predicament. They're angry with Him for things that that many times they have brought upon themselves, that we have brought upon ourselves. But you know what? I want a God who is outraged by slavery, by, by child pornography, by sex slavery, by domestic abuse, by poverty and evil, I want a God who is not willing to look is not only willing to look evil down, but to enter into evil and absorb it, destroy it, and that's exactly what Jesus came and did. Jesus took our rage and our anger. He looked down on evil. He took the cup of God's wrath and and anger. He took the wrath we deserve. He said it from the cross. What did He say from the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. See, you can absorb anger when people wrong you. As you remember, you wronged Him. And And God sent Jesus to take your punishment. He sent Jesus... To give the death blow to evil by taking the rage that had our name on it. It's the only way. How do you handle an angry heart? You give it to Him. And you allow Him to tell you who you are, not other people. The wrath of God that had our name on it fell upon Jesus. When you begin to meditate on that, think about that, reflect upon that, you realize that He has set us free. That we don't have to respond in anger. That We can manage anger. We can take responsibility for it. We can overlook a wrong. Because He did. <laughs> he didn't overlook it. He took it. <laughs> anger is a tough thing. There are some things in life that we should just not allow anger to take a root and we should deal with it. There's some things in life we ought to be angry about. But we're told, <coughs> be angry, but sin not. So, How are you doing with anger? How are you doing with anger? When somebody says something or does something to you, you just kind of, that's it, you're done. If somebody were to come to you and say, What's going on? Why are you so angry? Why do you have such angry words? Would you be willing to take that? Or would you get angry with them? You find yourself all alone. Maybe it's because of anger. Have you ever asked yourself, what is really going on beneath the surface that causes me to go nuclear on the people around me? What is it? And when you begin to think about that, I think you would be able to get to the root of what that anger is. But the way you're going to conquer anger is you realize that He came to set you free. And as you begin to see what He says about you and understand what He says about you, you can walk out the door and an eight-year-old can say, you're an idiot, and you go, okay, that's fine. He says I'm not. And if somebody you respect says it, say, you must have had a bad day. Sorry about that. He says, I'm not. And I get my marching orders from him. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. So, Father, this is easier said than done, certainly. Uh, But with your help, we can do it. With your Spirit within us, you can give us the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Father some of us maybe this week we're walking in the fruit of the flesh where there's anger and quarreling and just all there's stuff like that going on. May we confess our sin to you and allow your spirit to guide and direct us so we may display and walk in the fruit of the Spirit. So when things are done and said to us, we can respond in a positive way because we are empowered by your Holy Spirit. And we remember the one who came, took the wrath that had our name on it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.